0: In the Sermon on the Mount and in Luke chapter 11, we have what is commonly called the Lord's Prayer. Many of us can quote it, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, so on and so forth. The truth is that prayer is really more of a model or a pattern prayer for the disciples. In the context in those passages, they come to Jesus and they say to him, Lord teach us to pray, to pray, excuse me. In reality, this is a prayer uh, that Jesus would never have to pray. Part of that model prayer, he tells us to pray and ask forgiveness for our debts or our trespasses, which Jesus would never have to, have to do. But when we come to John chapter 17, we find the real Lord's Prayer. And through this prayer, we will learn so much about the heart and mind of Jesus Most commentators and theologians, when they reference this passage, call it the greatest prayer ever prayed. And as you go through this prayer, it's easy to see the three distinct sections of this prayer. Jesus is going to pray, first of all, for himself, and then he's going to pray for those disciples that are there with him and then he'll pray for all the future believers to to come, and we'll look at these sections over the next uh, couple of weeks. But today we're gonna focus mainly on verses one through five where Jesus prays for himself. Verse number one, it says these words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to to heaven. These words that John is referring to is to John chapters 13 through 16 and the instruction that Christ Gave these disciples. It started back in chapter 13, where he gave them an illustration by washing their feet, an illustration really of of service and humility. And he washed the disciples' feet, and he began to give them instruction on how they're to live and how they're going to uh, need to conduct themselves, and really how brave they're going to have to be as they live here in this world when he's when he leaves. They really struggled with this idea of Jesus leaving and and being gone from them, and he's trying to prepare them for this, and he comes to chapter 16 at the end, and he tells them, I want you to to be prepared to deal with the things here in this world. And then you move into chapter 16, verse 33. He says, these things I have spoken unto you, that ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world, and he moves right into chapter number 17. And in chapter 17, we're going to see the word that word world 19 times. And he has taught them about this tribulation that's going to come, and he wants them to, to stay faithful. And really the reality is, is God wants all of us as believers to be able to to live in this world. Not just to, to live, but really to to strive as servants of God, as believers in Jesus Christ, as the church, the body of Christ. And and it's sad that we see so many professing believers that, that leave the church, or even those that are true believers that struggle in their, in their walk with Christ. We get our eyes off of Jesus. We get our, our hearts and our mind out of the word of God and we get focused on the, the tragedies and the struggles that this life has to offer. We're, we're told over and over, tribulation's gonna come. We've all seen it over and over in our own lives, the, the, the struggles and the trials and the difficulties that other Christians have and yet we somehow believe that we should be immune to them. You know, we see people mistreat others, and yet when they mistreat us, we kind of think it's like, why is this happening to us? And Jesus has told us over and over again, realize these things are going to come as you live here in this world. And so he wanted those disciples to be able to turn the world upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wanted them to reach people with the the gospel, And, and so the same is true for us today. And listen, I don't know what you're going through and whether your life is great and wonderful from a human perspective, or maybe you're going through a battle and a struggle. Maybe just inwardly, you're dealing with some issues in your own personal life. Jesus wants you to understand he'll never leave you nor forsake you. He sent the comforter to walk with you in this life, and he wants you to excel as a Christian here in this world. My friend, God loves you so much. And he cares about where you are in the stage of life and the situations that you're going through in life. And this is really the heart of Jesus as he's preparing to leave his disciples and and go to the cross and and rise again and then go back to be with the Father. And he says, listen, guys, I want you to, to just know what's coming and be prepared for it. And you can excel Man, it is amazing as you read through the New Testament. You look at the life of Peter and John and, and you even come to Paul's life and you see all the things that he did and, and how brave they were and how they could stand in their faith and how they could say things like, listen, I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I'm ready to be offered to go and be with the Lord and, and how they could go to, to um, the, the martyr's death rejoicing with joy and heart in their, in, joy in their life. Because of Jesus Christ and, and who He is. Hey, I, I can promise you right now, if you're focused on the things of this world and your situation, it, it's gonna be easy to be bitter. It's easy to become angry and, and forsake the church and stop sharing the gospel. And, and listen, if all you're consumed with is, is what's going on in your life, you're gonna struggle. And that's why Jesus says, listen, you God, you have to get your eyes in the right place. You have to set your affection on things above. You have to make me the priority in your life. If you're going to excel, if you're going to have peace in the midst of tribulation, why? Because he just told them, I have overcome, I have overcome the world. I'm so glad I don't have to live this life in my own power, my own strength. I'm so glad I don't have to live it by myself. I mean, not only do I have the Lord and the the Holy Spirit that's in my life because of my salvation, I have the body of Christ and the family of God. Listen, there's no greater joy than knowing I serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords and that I'm part of his family. And my friend, I hope that you'll understand truly what Jesus is trying to get across to these men and what he's been trying to teach them and what he wants for us to understand. And now they've had this instruction and now, listen, they're still there with Jesus. And they have the opportunity to to hear the Lord pray. Notice the Bible tells us after he spake these things, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, you know, often when Jesus prayed in scripture, we don't see him bowing down. Uh, on his knees, bowing his head and folding his hands, as we often do in prayer. I think I heard somebody say that that was invented by a Sunday school teacher that had squirming kids that wanted them to sit still. And so he told them to, you know, bow your heads and close your eyes. And But all throughout scripture, we see different postures of people praying. Jesus often prayed, lifting up his eyes to heaven and putting his hands up in the air. And we see that many times. We also see Jesus laid himself on the ground, prostrate, prostrate before God. And we see other people that bowed their heads and and prayer respect to God. But you know, the the issue isn't, the issue isn't necessarily our posture, but the issue is our heart as we come before God. The Bible tells us to pray without ceasing, and listen, you should be praying in your car and praying at home, and you know, and there's times when you can close your eyes and times when you can't, but prayer should just be a natural part of our life. Jesus comes before God, and he, he begins to pour out his heart. And over the next few weeks, we'll see this, these great truths and, and the great blessing of looking in as Jesus communicates with God in the greatest prayer ever prayed. Father, thank you, Lord, for your love for us. We thank you for Jesus Christ and the salvation that we have in him. And I pray, Lord, Lord that you would bless our time as we look into your word and challenge us from the life and the prayer of our Savior, In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We'll read verses one through five, and we see here, first of all, that Jesus is praying for himself. And there's something I don't want you to miss. I want you to notice, first of all, the the timing as Jesus is praying for himself. Notice what he says in verse one. Father, the hour is come. You know, that's a statement that we see all throughout the gospel of John. You know, in John chapter 2, Jesus is at the wedding with his mother and she comes to him and says, hey, you need to help these people. And what does Jesus say? My woman, my hour is not yet come. You go to John chapter 7 and and chapter 8 and Jesus says, my hour is not yet come. In John chapter 12, we see a little bit of a transition when Jesus basically says, my hour is coming. What is he talking about? He's talking about the hours that are about to take place here in John chapters 18 and following. And now he says in John chapter 17, Father, my hour is come. This really was the fulfillment of all the promises that we see from Genesis chapter 3 all the way throughout the Old Testament when God had promised to send a Savior. And Jesus came and was born in this world and he came and lived a perfect life. And now he says, my hour has come. And what he's telling us is it's time for me to go to the cross and be the payment for your sin. These guys that Jesus was with, they were looking for him to set up his kingdom. When when is this going to happen? When is this going to happen? And, and he says, my hour is not yet come. And, and now he says, my hour is, is here, my hour has come. And no doubt they would love to see the kingdom set up and Christ be on the throne and overcome the governments of the world. But his hour was come to go to the cross. The second thing we see in this passage is the idea of glorify, glorify. Five times Jesus uses this word and he prays here to the Father that he would be glorified and that through him, that through Jesus, he, God himself would be glorified. Five times in this passage, we see the words glorify or glory. glory glorify, excuse me, is the verb form and glory is the noun form. Glory as a noun refers to the goodness of God that is on display. The goodness of God that is on display. Now listen, all of us could testify this morning to the goodness of God in our life. We've sing songs about our country and our country has experienced the goodness of God throughout its history. Glorify then, the verb, refers to our response to God's goodness. You know, we celebrate The goodness of God, and we glorify the goodness of God. You know, we often do that though when things are going well in our life, and we struggle when we're going through hard times. How is God's goodness displayed in the next chapters, in the next hours of the life of Christ? It wasn't through great parades and great singing, and it wasn't through great preaching. First of all, we see it was through, through the cross. And we stop and think, the cross is a place of torture. It's a place of, of death. And you know, when the crowds were yelling, crucify him, crucify him, I can only think that through the mind of Christ, he was thinking glorify, glorify. What was the cross going to do? It was gonna put Christ to death, but it was ultimately going to bring, bring glory to God. And so it was through the cross that Jesus would be glorified, that God would be glorified. It was through the resurrection. Jesus is going to be placed in a tomb and he'll be there for three days. And and then he rose again. He defeated the death and the grave. And then it was ultimately through the ascension. Look with me at verse number five. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had, notice there, with thee before the world. Was It was through the ascension, ascension, excuse me, Jesus will go back to where he came from. The, this verse points to the eternality of, of Jesus where he left heaven's glory to take on human flesh. He took on this human flesh to, to live a perfect life and he lived his perfect life to, to die on the cross for our sins. And now he will go back to where he was before He took on flesh. You see, it was through all this that we see the the goodness of God to mankind. In Revelation chapter five, verse two, the Bible tells us that worthy is the lamb that was slain. A slain lamb brings glory. How, How is that? It's not because of the, the death. A lot of animals have died and a lot of lambs have died. But this la- slain lamb that, that Revelation is talking about brings glory because of what it accomplished. You see, Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the radiance of, of God's glory. It is the cross that brings glory because of what Jesus accomplished in this world. You see, Christ showed us at the cross the ultimate goodness of God. It is there where God's holy justice met God's loving grace. It is the cross that shows us the goodness of God. Romans tells us that in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It was the cross that showed us God's love and goodness to mankind. And so Jesus prays that he would be glorified, that he would ultimately glorify God. Christ was willing to go to the cross to save sinners and that would bring glory to God. When the world thinks of the cross, we think of, of despair and death. The truth is that the cross was the ultimate way for Christ to glorify the Father. I mentioned we have this idea that God is glorified through the good things that happen to us. I am amazed at how narcissistic we as a culture and we as Christians are. You know, we go through, um, you go through social media and, and it's amazing how consumed we are with ourselves when you stop and think about it. I'd love for you just to go and, and analyze your social media pages and, and all that you put out there and how very little how, how much we glorify ourselves and how little we glorify God in our life. We, we love to praise God when we get a job, but would we glorify God when we lose that job? We love to pray, praise God when, when, when we're healthy and, and, and everything is going well, but can we glorify God in those moments where life is difficult and it might not be what we want it to be, even in that diagnosis, realizing that sometimes the greatest way for us to bring glory to God can be through our tragedies. We praise God when it's good, but then we say things like, well, this is my cross to bear. Isn't that a statement we make oftentimes? Many of us have said that. Well, this is my cross to bear as if it's some negative aspect in life. You know, the greatest cross that was ever bore was the cross of Calvary. And it was brought the greatest glory to God that ever could be, Jesus Christ went to the cross. The hour was, was now, and it was that cross that glorified Christ. You see, when Jesus prayed here in John chapter 17, and he said, Father, the hour has come. He knew the hour was time for him to go to the cross. Glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. The timing was, now we go to the cross Now I die for the sins of the world, so that you, Father, would be glorified through me. The third thing we see in this passage is Christ's power. Look at verse 2. As thou hast given power, given him power over all flesh, that he should, talking about himself, should give eternal life to us, to as many, excuse me, as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. John tells us here, through the words of Jesus, that that all power and authority was given to Jesus to, to bring people into a relationship with God. This is a reminder of the fact that we're all separated from God because of our sins and we all are the enemy of God. It's not based on our ability or our power, but the power of Jesus. And so that's why in John chapter 14, he told his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And Jesus is reiterating his ability to to bring salvation, to bring eternal life. And this life that he gives is is eternal life. Because notice what he says there in verse number three. This is life eternal. That they might know the only true God. It's a very interesting point I don't want you to miss here. From our perspective, from a human perspective, we have created or invented this idea that life eternal comes through religious activity this is kind of our focus. The more I do to please God and honor God and to glorify God, then then I'm going to have life. And that's kind of, we're striving in our own works, and it's all futile. It's all, it's all pointless. Because Jesus says, listen, you can do all the works you want, but you don't know God. You can only know God through me. You can only know God through faith in Jesus Christ and receiving the free gift of salvation. And so he's reiterating to them that the message of the gospel. Listen, to have eternal life is to know God. To know God is to, to have eternal life. And, and can I tell you, when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, when you turn from your sin and by faith you received Jesus Christ as your Savior, it's in that moment that you receive eternal life. It's not when you die a physical death that you receive eternal life. Eternal life comes when you receive it, when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. But he's reiterating to them, listen, to know God is to have eternal life. To have eternal life is to know God. You know, sometimes we, we say at, you know, funerals, and, and I'm very careful how, how I say this, and, and I'm even pointed at times, you know, people say, well, we'll see him again. We'll see them again. Hey, listen, because, they, because they're a Christian, we'll see them again. Listen, if they know God and you don't know God, you're not gonna see them again if you die in your sins. You might think you're a good person. You might think you're religious. But if you don't know God through faith in Jesus Christ, receiving that gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sin being placed into the body of Christ and all that comes with that, You can do all the religious activity and all the works that you want. And Jesus is very clear. Through him, you have eternal life. Only Christ has the power to grant salvation. There's no priest. There's no church. There's no civil group. Only Christ has the power to grant and to give salvation. And he has said, There's only one way to receive the gift of salvation, and that's for us to turn from our sin and to turn to Christ by faith and receive this gift of salvation. And if you're here today and you've never done that, let me challenge you. I hope that you know. Hey, listen, you live in America, and today, this week, we're gonna celebrate the freedoms. But if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you're in greater bondage than you can ever imagine. And true freedom comes through Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Christ has the power to save and listen, I'll be honest with you, it, it, it irritates me. It irritates me when I hear people say, well, listen, yeah, I know it's, it's faith, but you've got to be baptized, or it's faith, but you've got to do this. It's faith. Listen, I, I get so irritated because Christ doesn't need you to be baptized or go to church or to give or do this because in Him, in Him alone, is the power to give salvation. And praise the Lord for that. Life eternal comes through Jesus Christ and the power of Christ. And then I want you to see as we finish up here the word, the idea of, of finished, finished. Jesus finished his work here on earth. His hour was come and he's gonna return back to the Father in verse number five and he says, or verse number four, he says, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou hast gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own, thine own self. With the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Jesus finished his work on earth and is returning back to the Father. He'd done what he was called to do. And I think these two verses are so vital for us to apply to our life. You know, we talk a lot about sanctification and, and the Bible says we're to be conformed to the image of Christ and we're to, to be like Jesus. And, and, and listen, if we're to do that, if we are to be like Jesus and he came to do the work of God and to glorify God through his life, how much more should we do the same? We should do the work that God has called us to do in our life. This is what Paul says about himself in 2 Timothy 4. He says, I have run the race. I have finished the course. I have, I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there's a crown laid up for me and not for me only, he goes on to say, but for all those that love his appearing. You know, Jesus came to do the, the work of God. Many of us, even as Christians, have come to be popular to come to live a life of ease, to come to have the comforts of, of this world, to come to not, we've come not to, we fight not to be persecuted. We, 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 we strive in our life to, to live a comfortable life and to fulfill the American dream and to have all this world offers us, even to the detriment of our service for God. Many Christians in history and many Christians even today sacrifice the glory of God for their own selfishness and their own pride, their own desires. Think of Jesus in the garden and we'll see that in the coming weeks. And he said, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that Christ came and, and he was obedient unto death. The death of the cross. He came to do the will of the Father. He came to, to serve God and glorify God and do the job that God was, had given him. You say, well, I don't know what God wants me to do. And so it's, it's difficult. You know, we make it a lot harder than it needs to be. We're told to go in the world and preach the gospel to every creature. When's the last time you shared your faith with somebody well I'm a shy person it's not my comfort zone and all those type of things see it's, it's about you it, it, it's easy to make excuses and why we don't serve God you know for some of you the God called you to be parents he called you to raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and yet you let them make their own decisions for their life sinful horrible little children and you let them make their own decisions It cracks me up when people will say, yeah, well, they, you know, this little second grader, he decided he wants to go to ICA or he decided we're going to put him in another school because he decided he doesn't want to go to school here. Listen, he doesn't know what he wants and you're the parent. And we live in a society where people are giving up just letting their kids do their own thing. Well, I want them to make their own choices and grow up. Listen, there's a time for that, but there's also a time for you to be a parent. And you're not doing your job and fulfilling the will of God for your life. When you just say, listen, I'm going to let them parent themselves. I want them to be my best friend instead of me be mom and dad and them be the child. And some of you, it's at work. You're to be a good worker. God's given us biblical commands on what type of employee, what type of boss we're supposed to be. These things aren't very difficult in life. And yet we we, we make all kinds of reasons and excuses why we're not serving God. Well, I don't feel like it. Listen, there's a lot of times we don't feel like it. But yet that's our responsibility. Jesus finished his work. He did what God called him to do. And I'll be honest with you. You're not a church if you're not doing the work God's called you to do. If we're not doing and fulfilling the Great Commission, if we're not discipling people, if we're not doing the work God's calls called us to do, then we're just a group of people gathering together, singing some songs and, and going on our way. We get up in the morning, we go to church, and we go back home and we forget the sermon. You know, we move on to the next thing in our life. Instead of focusing on what God is doing in our heart and life, what he wants us to do in serving God and bringing glory to him. Jesus says, I finished. I've done the task that God has called me to do. Are we doing the task that God has called us to do? The greatest example was Jesus Christ going to the cross. And if we are believers in Jesus Christ and we are his disciples, where are to go and do what God has called us to do. He tells us to read the Bible, He told us to pray, he, he gives us all these things to do. It, it, it's really very easy and very clear in the Scripture. But we have to get ourselves and our selfishness and our pride out of the way and do the things that God has called us to do. Jesus, as He prays, His desire is to glorify God. And really that's as we finish up the question. Is your desire to glorify yourself and have the life that you want to live and do the things that you want to do and go where you want to go and accomplish what you want to accomplish? Or is it our desire, is your desire to simply glorify God and all that he's called us to do, all that he's called us to go through here in this life?